I have other things to say about that particular church that I will hold off, refrain from at the moment, because uh, not all other than uh, uh, Colossians. Uh, I want to talk about these two elephants we talked about last week. Um, instructions for Christian households, right? Wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving their wives, children obeying parents, parents not um, not embittering their children, not, not making their children discouraged, slaves um, obeying masters, masters um, obeying the Lord. A pen? Um, those sorts of things. And so we had some primers last week as we kind of jumped into it. You know, the passage, this kind of passage on instructions for Christian households about duty and rights. We talked a little bit about the redemptive hermeneutic, which I'm going to go a little bit more into this week because it seems like a lot of folks have, have kind of missed out on that. Um, to remind people that this is explicit for Christian households, when Paul's writing these instructions, he's not writing out to the world. He's writing to the kind of, the kind of church that is formed in Colossae. Um, men, we kind of get the brunt of it, right? We, we said that, hey, you know, wives, women kind of get the instruction to submit to their husbands. You know, if you are a man, especially at this point, you, you were probably a husband. You were probably also a father. And if there was something, if you had means, you could also have been a slave owner. So you have all these instructions that God is speaking to you. And again, it all points us back to the Lord. This whole passage continues to point us back to the Lord. What's fitting in the Lord, what's pleasing to the Lord, do it as it's for the Lord. The Lord you are serving, the master of the Lord in heaven. So let's read this passage one more time. And then this morning I'm going to talk about I thought about kind of just moving on, but I, I just figured that talking about that children-parent relationship is really important right now at our church, especially just kind of looking around and knowing who's here. And then the slave master, I know that we're not, that's not important in our church, but there is things to learn and to take away from that and to understand in that. So if y'all got a Bible, we'll go to Colossians 3, uh, 18 through 4.1. Colossians 3. And if somebody wants to start us off, again, just kind of reading it in the round, we'll take a verse or two, and then uh, someone else will read. Excellent. So again, we kind of have these pairs of relationships, wives, husbands, right? Uh, children, children. it says children, fathers, but basically that word there could mean parent as well too. So children, parents, slaves, masters. Um, the first instruction here that we'll talk about is, is kind of children to obey, right? So who uses this phrase, right? 
good listener, right? This is what it means to, anybody use this phrase? This is like the kind of classic kindergarten phrase, right? Are you a good listener, right? Jolene, do you, what's that? Yeah, are you a good listener, right? What does a good listener mean? It means that not only have you heard the instructions, but then you carry it out, right? Hearing and carrying out instructions. Now, children obeying. We had our, the Williams household had a great example of this not happening last Sunday in which, can we talk about this? We can talk about this. Yeah, like I can put my kids. So it was, it was video time in the kids' room, right? Do you want, just correct me if I go wrong. It was video time in the kids' room. Jeanette is sitting up on the table being the cool kid while all the other kids are like down on the carpet. And Julia says to Jeanette, hey, Jeanette, you need to sit on the carpet. And Jeanette says, no, I'm not sitting down on the carpet. And then Elise says, yeah, Jeanette, you need to sit down on the carpet. And Jeanette says, no, I don't want to. And then Elise maybe says a little bit stronger. The second time she says, Jeanette, I, you do need to sit down on the carpet. And then she said again, no, I don't want to. Is that what it was? The, I don't want to? <laughs> and then this is, this is like the first kind of moment of like, um, you know, like the pastor's kid? Like that was my first kind of moment, like, oh, the pastor's kid. And then again, Elise, was it three times, four times? You know, in a couple of years, it's going to be like 17 times as <laughs> the legend grows. Well, no, because he scooted her butt to put the chair up to the table, and then he scooted her butt that it was like her feet were on the chair, but her butt was on the, like, close to it. And I was like, no, no, that's not going to work. Like, <laughs> it was like getting there. <laughs> she was not, so the Williams do not have this, the Williams children do not always obey. They are not always good listeners. I do not have this by any by any means, we would not have this by any means. Uh, it doesn't work perfectly. And we all know this, right? Kids have their own wills. They do what they want. Um, but here's the one thing I learned. A couple years ago, I think this was like maybe 18, 2018, we did a whole series on relationships. Um, we did some, some time talking about parents, the parenting relationship. Um, and I read a book by two guys named uh, Henry Cloud, John Townsend. Um, they kind of had this whole boundary series, and they kind of expanded it out and did this boundaries. They had a book called Boundaries with Kids. One of the things that's, there's two things that stood out to me in that book. Um, one of them is what they call the parental superpower, right? And the parental superpower is what they call the power of follow through, right? The power of follow through. This is, this is really, and they said like, this is kind of like the only power you have as a parent, right? Is just to follow through. So they gave this great example in the book of, of the power of follow through. And I'm going to kind of phrase it because there was a particular mom who had a child who was just not being a good listener, not obeying, not, not making good choices, right? And so this mom, and here's kind of a little paraphrase of it, this mom, as she kind of helped her child navigate through it, came up with this, or this child started saying this phrase, too bad for me, right? Maybe in Southern California would say bummer for me, right? Too bad for me. So the mom structured her child's choice and consequence so that when he chose poorly, right, and then the parental superpower, and when she followed through on the consequence, it would negatively affect the child's quality of life. I love this phrase. A child's bad behavior becomes a problem for them. Not me, not the parents, right? It becomes a problem for them. And the child began using this phrase, too bad for me. And the mom would respond, yeah, I'm sorry for you. It's too bad for you. It's a bummer for you, right? Um, 
with Jeanette last week, right? She didn't listen. So after church, she did not get any treats. She did not go out to play with her friends. I made her sit here. That's too bad for you. You have to sit here. You don't get anything. The child began to own their behavior and the power they had over their life and their choices, right? So when I think, I mean, that was just kind of a quick thing on, on when I read that book, again, Boundaries for Kids, Henry Cloud, John Townsend, there was one other thing that, that stood out to me in that book about parenting. Um, but this was, I remember taking this away and saying, if we have one parent power as parents, it's the ability to follow through, right? You have to say what you mean and you have to mean what you say and you have to follow through because too often um, we just, I mean, we all do this, right? Like, um, If, if Jeanette, if you're not a good listener in the nursery today, you're not going to school next week. You know what I mean? Where we make these just kind of crazy, you know, whatever. But we, you know, Jeanette, if, you, if you're going to make poor choices, sorry, poor, poor Jeanette's getting picked on today. Like, um, if you're not going to make good choices, the, what's going to be your consequences after church? There's not going to be any treats. There's nothing. You're going to sit here. You're not going to play with your friends. Too bad for you, right? This kind of parental superpower of... Um, of follow through. Huge, huge lesson for me. I, I, like I said, over the past couple of years, I, I did this series in 18. It's one of the biggest things I've been able to implement in, in, in parenting. Um, so the kind of follow up to that, because all these relationships, wives, husbands, children, parents, they're all kind of in relationship to one another, right? They're all together. Slaves, masters are all together. So it says children, you got to obey your parents. And not only do we need the children to obey the parents, there, there is that instruction there too where it's just like, man, do you understand that when you're obedient, like that is what God, lo- like God loves that, right? God loves to see you, you know, being a good listener to your parents. Um, but then the, us as parents, and again, this, this, it says fathers, but this word could be used as parents, so moms and dads together. Um, children will push back on that authority, amen, Right? Children will push back on that authority. And we get the command not to embitter. And I'm kind of like, uh, you know, embitter? What was embitter, right? Um, un- in- embitter a child is unreasonable or unreasoned challenges to children's independence, obedience, right? It will create bitterness. When we are unreasonable in when they kind of push back on us, there should be that kind of healthy back and forth, right? That, that kind of challenging, like if for kids, it's the good listener, you know, for parents, how many parents use it because I said so, right? Like that's here. Like, that's like maybe a once, <laughs> that's maybe like, t- I was thinking about like, like that should be like a once, maybe like a once a month kind of, yeah. <laughs> maybe twice a day. Um, you you want to you want to challenge your child's resistance with reasonable authority, right? Almost like okay, what is the reason? What's the thought? What's the pattern behind this, right? Um, what happens is is when 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 children push back on us, right? And then if we challenge that pushback, uh, you know, at least when when uh, I got to use a different example, poor Jabby. Um, She did. Um, it was very sweet. It was yeah. Sweet. And she drew a picture, too. And she drew a picture of 
Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sitting on the table, right? Sitting yeah. On the table. Yeah. It yeah, she has these moments where, like, she'll just completely go savage, and then she'll just completely go, like, the sweetest thing in the world, and you just, you just melt underneath her. You're powerless as, as a parent. Well, all right, give me a Jack story. What did Jack do? Like, I mean, should we talk about... Okay, so anytime you... So, I don't even know where he was. We got to talk about Jeanette and Jack, the whole thing. When, 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 I'll use Jeanette, because I think it was on that train of thought. Jeanette doesn't listen, and so then you kind of go into this, like, unreasonable exercise of authority, right? Where you grab her by the ear the first time, and you yank her and say, go sit outside by yourself, right? Unreasonable exercise. What happens is, right, is when we do that as parents, right? When we do that as parents, we kind of use this unreasonable exercise of authority, this kind of because I said so, or there's other examples, you know, maybe it's just... You just go into, I'll go just like into control freak mode where I'll just kind of control my kids and boss them around, whatever it is. When we do this over time, right, it leads to discouragement, which is why the second part of the verse says, Paul says, um, you know, it says, children, obey everything to your parents, uh, pleases the Lord. And then it says, fathers, don't embitter your children or they become discouraged, right? So they can become discouraged. Um, Man, as parents... We never want to see our kids discouraged, right? We don't want to see our kids kind of lose that spark, lose heart, quit. What we want to do is we want to speak that courage. We want to create something within a child's heart that gives them courage to face the world, to stand up, to make good choices, to be a good listener, those sorts of things. Man, I had a heartbreaking moment with a guy that I ride with this week who, um, like his child, and I don't need to get into all that, his child has just lost courage, right? It's just lost that spark, really going through some hard times. Like we were at coffee and he starts crying and the whole thing, he's all torn up about his kid. And I don't, I don't know if it was like, you know, kind of directly connected to this, but man, just watching a parent, and, and parents, we've known this, we've seen this, our kids lose heart, they become discouraged. We never want to see that, right? We want our kids to have, have that courage. We, want to, we don't want to see them discouraged. So, Encourage, right? To encourage our, our kids, this Greek word that, that the Bible uses throughout uh, parakletos, para beside, call, or kletos, call, motivate, inspire. This word, right, that we want to do for our kids, that what we want to do as parents, walk alongside, call, inspire, guide, coach. It's interesting that Jesus uses this exact word when he refers to the Holy Spirit, right? He calls the Holy Spirit the parakletos, the helper, the advocate, the one who kind of walks beside you, who is beside you, and calls you, who motivates you, who inspires you. There is this this thought, too, that, again, we talked a couple weeks ago about how um, the Christians had kind of, the early Christians had kind of taken some of the Gnostic philosophy and used some of their arguments and actually turned it against the Gnostics. One of the things that they did, too, was the Epicurean philosophy of the day in the first century was this pleasure-centered philosophy, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. Any sort of suffering or pain was to be wildly avoided, right? And one of the things that their philosophy involved was this member nurture, mutual exhortation. You would sit around and you would brag on one another, right? 
So we would sit around here and say, oh, Chris, your biceps are so wonderfully large and tanned and bronze. And we would say, um, I won't embarrass Robert, or I mean, uh, <laughs> I won't embarrass Ivan or Lizette this morning, but oh, Jolyn, the curls that you have put in your hair this morning, the most wonderful thing my eyes have ever, and this is what the Epicureans would do. They, they would kind of mutually exhort one another, and we would all sit around and do that. Um, and some might suggest that the Christians kind of hijacked this from the Greek philosophy, and they reworked it, right? And that's what we do with our kids, is we just want to speak that courage into them. But we need that, parents. We, what we need is we need to experience the Holy Spirit walking alongside of us, right? So that as we do that with our kids, as we walk with our kids, it's the Holy Spirit that's walking, that's calling, that's motivating us, that's inspiring us, so then we can give that to our children. Because parents, we know that willpower alone can get us to about 11.30 in the morning, and then we're done, right? <laughs> or maybe they can get it till the kids get out the door, and then we're done. But when the Holy Spirit walks alongside of us, calls us, motivates us, speaks to us, is our encourager, then we can do that for our children, all right? Any thoughts? Questions, comments, before we move on to slaves and masters? I thought we could have a couple of moments and just rank the parents in this room. We'll just go one through ten to see who the best is. and then. So you're above the number one. Like you're, <laughs> you're a great parent, man. You're very... You're very On here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we just kind of took the relationships and then we took those words out of Colossians 3.12. Uh, I sat here and looked at Mark and it said, the first emotional words that come in your head resemble any of those? So the answer was no. So mm-hmm. I thought about it all week and I thought, wow, I'm really in the right place because God's trying to train me how to be a better person. Yeah. It's not in my memory. Mm-hmm. Superpower. Yeah. And so uh, the guiding and I said I didn't with this, but what my dad taught me, even though he, God rest his soul, was that you got to work. You got to work. <laughs> and that's yeah. the only thing I know. Yeah. Work it off. Yeah. Anyways, I didn't mean to. Yeah. No, that's good. I mean, again, just kind of you're dealing with 16, 17. I'm the zero and Mark and I are the uh, back row. We're the parking lot. You're the 16, 17 year old dealing with, with the, with being a good listener. I'm the six-year-old dealing with a good listener. You got your little boys dealing with a good listener. We all got them, right? And we're just trying to, we, <clears throat> we're, we're, we're doing our, I mean, you got your, what's your youngest? What's Nolan? 20? Mermeg. 26, Lord have mercy. Right? I mean, it's still, <clears throat> yeah. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> I, I wish I could say, you know. <laughs> I like how you distance all the negative things, though. Now, you'll never ever hear any of the positive things. About five years will go by, and the person who's not a Christian will remember this. 
It'll come back around. It'll come back around. Yeah. Um, slaves and masters. So again, this is like one of those kind of passages that kind of, you know, slaves are told to obey, masters are told to be right and fair. But again, we kind of look at this at face value and say, um, yeah, no slave owners in this room, no masters, you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> so a lot of times you can kind of skip over this passage. Also, this passage um, often is the passage, pa- passages like this, the Bible gets criticized for, right? It's archaic, it's repressive, it's irrelevant. Like, nobody, come on, Bible, like, you're wasting your time reading about slaves and masters. Like, what's going on with that? Uh, <clears throat> this passage is actually so relevant to us today, believe it or not, right? So relevant. I'll show you. Um, has anybody heard of something called universal basic income? Anybody heard of that? Right? What's universal basic well, <laughs> okay, could be, right? What's, what, how, Ivan, how would you describe it? Uh, basically, you're getting paid to do nothing. You're getting paid to do nothing. You get a paycheck. Yeah, right? You just kind of get a paycheck. You breathe and you get paid. You get paid. And, <laughs> I, you know, I remember as a child thinking, you know, people, what do you want to be when you grow up? If I could figure out a way to get paid a lot of money and do nothing, like that was my goal in life. And then you realize how important work is as, as you get older. But... There could be a time in the future. Let me show you this picture. Um, who's been to that Kura restaurant, this, the revolving sushi bar up the street? Anybody? Up Valley View? Valley View and? Right past Cypress High School. That new little shop, that new little strip mall. Is it where 85 bakeries are? Yeah. 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 It's fun. And if not for the revolving sushi bar, these robot situations deliver your drinks. Like you're sitting at your table and you kind of like, you have your iPad and you type in what drink you want. And somebody is putting, I mean, you can barely see it. This is, this is like, they put your, this is kind of like the, the trays back here. So they put your drinks here and the robots are wandering around the restaurant delivering your drinks, right? He's right up the street. Right up the street. Like, if you guys are probably afraid the rest of my sermon, like, there's robot waiters out there. Like, what? So, so we have these guys. And then who remembers this whole situation? I mean, this quite hasn't come to fruition yet, but we do remember this when Amazon was like, oh, we're going to start delivering everything through drones. And if people are freaking out with Terminator, you know, like, oh, my gosh, we're taking over. Um, some of the, like, you probably would be familiar with some, like, some of the celebrity CEOs, Elon Musk, Richard Branson. They predict a time in the future, right, where automation, robots, AI, those sorts of things will consume so many jobs that what do you do when all these jobs are just automated, right? The government then kind of has to step in and help, help support financially because if you don't, I mean, imagine this goes live tomorrow, Right? How many people that work for Amazon, is it millions, hundreds of thousands, got millions of people, would be, and you don't have delivery drivers, you don't have people who are packaging the packages, and everything just goes on, right? So they would predict a time in the future, right, when you just kind of are provided a basic income to humanity because there's just not enough jobs for people, right? Um, okay, here's another one. Chris, this is for you. Fossil fuels, right? Um, 
There is so much push, and there probably has been over the last year, or, or not year, years, renewable, clean energy. Obviously, the big news that, you know, California is going to all electric vehicles in, by 2035. Um, we're, you know, we're, everything's going to be electric, hydrogen, hydro, solar, whatever. Is there a point in the future where fossil fuels um, are unneeded? We no longer need coal, we no longer need gas, we no longer need oil, right? So could that be, right? Could that not be that far off uh, in our lifetime where we kind of move away from this? So if we think about that point in the future, right? Let's, um, let's say, let me see if I can do this real quick. Okay, there's my robot. If that point in the, this is like robot future, right? If at that point in the future, and we'll draw a couple solar panels too. There's one. Would the people who lived in this point in the future, right, look back at our time um, when we had people walking around. When I used to wait tables in high school, I think I made like $2.35 an hour. And then you were, you know, the whole thing was like, you're going to make it up on tips. Would we, they look back on that time, right, and say how primitive, right? How, like, they did what? They were, they were burning, they were rolling coal in the south and killing our environment, or they were, you know, doing all this stuff. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, the future looks back on the past and says how primitive, how regressive, how lost. They were powering their choo-choo trains with steam. Like, people, people still do that like what, what's going on here when we sitting here in the 21st century right look back in in this time right when this letter was being um was being written and read in this small village right in this small town in Colossae and we just do this is we just look back and just say that they're primitive they're lost they don't know what they're doing it's irrelevant it's archaic like how could anybody think like that but <clears throat> the way that that letter was encountered in the first century right uh your husband and i were talking about this after church last week the way that this letter would have been encountered in the first century when paul gave these instructions right you're sitting in a church gathering and you have let's just say the slaves kind of sat up there in the back right the slaves would sit up there and maybe for the first time ever, slaves are being addressed and giving instruction in the Lord, right? They're giving instruction and guidance on how to be. And maybe you have some masters sitting there like, yeah, yeah, you guys need to, you guys need to obey me and, and do it and, and work harder, you know what I mean? And, and, and yeah, you're, you're and you know, somebody's sitting there kind of smug. You know, you know when you're sitting there and the, the preacher's preaching to husbands and the wife nudges and says, yeah, you, you got to. Or the, the preacher's preaching to wives and the husband. You know what I mean? That kind of like, yeah, you, you got to listen to this point, right? But then, at the same time, Paul reads that next part of the letter. And he's giving instructions now to masters, right? Masters, right? The masters sit here in the front row. You guys get the good seats, right? Masters, this is what you are to do. Right? So when you encounter this letter, say, in the first century, um, a, a massive step forward. Right? This, again, we look back at it, and it's archaic, and it's irrelevant, and it's why the Bible gets criticized. 
And that's just, that's just chronol it's called chronological snobbery. Snobbery, right? Thinking that this moment is the pinnacle and that we get the, uh, we get the ability to look back and say, oh, how terrible that was, right? Because people at some point might look at our, our era. They, they, like, they like were stealing coal from the ground and just burning it and creating holes in the ozone. Um, they, Brian, we were kind of talking at lunch this week, you know, if that person was working in a, like in a sweaty warehouse for $12 an hour or whatever, you know, it's just like, that's slavery. And you're just like, okay. So to think that our moment is the pinnacle is just, it's just, we're just snobs about that, right? Um, because we don't know what the future holds. Does that help us understand that passage a little bit more? But the question then still remains, why not just abolish slavery? Why doesn't Paul just look at this passage and look at the whole slavery system and just say, come on, we're better than this Christians. Let's rise up. Let's kill the slavery. We're done. We're going to, you know, we're going to abolish it, right? Let's answer that with, with, with this example. Uh, who wants to take a guess at who these folks are? Ah, oh, there you go. And who wants to take a guess at who these boys are? It's kind of written up. <laughs> right, we've heard of these groups, right? Fringe, um, let's see here. Fringe kind of, uh, where are we at? What's that? Yeah, political groups, vastly different views on how our country should move forward. So, right. No political power or minuscule political power. No, like, real lasting influence to invoke any sort of change, right? We would never look at Antifa, right? We would never go to the, is there a leader of Antifa? Probably, probably somewhere, right? We would never go to the leader of Antifa and say, hey, hey, why, guys haven't, why you guys haven't abolished capitalism yet? What are you doing, right? What are you guys doing? You guys just kind of messing around? And, and we would never go to the, whoever the leader of the Proud Boys is. I do think that there is. You'd be like, hey, you guys, uh, you guys really haven't done your job at dismantling the Democratic Party yet, right? Like, you guys are kind of being... I, I use these, these images in this analogy, and this is where the analogy breaks down a little bit because I do not want to compare the church to either of these two <laughs> directly, maybe indirectly, right? Think about the church in the first century, right? A small minority fringe group really no political power up against the most powerful empire the world has ever seen in Rome, right? The church didn't really have, at that moment, didn't have the ability to change society, right? In the words of Jesus, what was the church? What was the kingdom? It was a seed. It was yeast, right? The parables that he would use. It was small pearls. It was a hidden treasure, right? It wasn't quite realize. So Paul doesn't have in that moment, just like the leader of Antifa doesn't have in that moment the ability or the power to stand up and say, capitalism is done, we're moving on, right? He didn't have that power, but these texts did lay the groundwork for the forward movement in all these relationships, right? They guided... massive steps forward between, we talked about the relationship between husbands and wives, right? The relationships between, imagine being in a gathering and children are being spoken to. Children, I want you to obey. This is pleasing to the Lord. Dads, listen to me. You are not to embitter your children and discourage them, right? And Paul's reading this letter or this letter is being read, right? 
slaves and masters understand this, and it's laying the, the groundwork forward um, to kind of move the church forward. Uh, to end the sermon, because this is kind of an aggressive picture, and there's yelling and fighting and militia, I was like, how do I end the sermon? And then I was just like, what's that? Yeah, I'll show you a, p- a picture of a peaceful protest right here. This is a picture of a peaceful protest, right? That's how I was, I was like, that's how I'm going to end my sermon right there, just a picture of those three little boys. So, um, They're all protesting naps is what they're protesting. Uh, let me pray, but we'll do a couple, a couple questions uh, after Lord. Lord, yeah, just parents, we're struggling out there, uh, and it's, it's a battle. Um, even if all our kids are out of the house or moved on, or if our kids are high schoolers or middle school, junior high, elementary, man, even the little babies, um, we understand how serious and how much responsibility that relationship is. I'm thinking about all the parents in this room, Holy Spirit, walk beside them and call them, motivate them, inspire them, encourage them. Holy Spirit, walk beside them. Go walk beside them, man. Go walk beside them. <laughs> yeah. And Lord, again, as we look at the scriptures and you're teaching us new things, you're guiding us, Lord, thank you for, for the way that you teach and help us learn and understand what's, what the scripture was doing then and what it's doing now in our lives as well, too. So be with us this, again this morning during this discussion time. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh. Yeah, a couple questions. Uh, wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters, which grouping was most helpful to you and why? If you were to think through those. Uh, can you think of a time when you followed through with your child and it made a difference. Um, what is one way that you can encourage your children this week, or child or children this week? Uh, how do you see that kind of slave master text being actually redemptive and moving the conversation forward? And this one, there's a big question here at the bottom. Who's the cutest? If you just want to take another picture, it's probably the child on the left as you're facing it. There could be debate over that, and we could just take a vote afterwards. Just, but if you want to answer that one, that's a good one too. So yeah, just take a few minutes and discuss those, and then uh, we'll have. Slaves, masters. I think yeah, no, father, father, son, right? Um, for. For children, I would say the big, the big thought there is follow through. We got to follow through. For parents, I would say um, that kind of walk beside to encourage our children, right? Just like the Holy Spirit walks beside us. And then for the slaves and masters, um, we we see that that passage is not regressive. It's not archaic. It's not um, repressive. It's actually a giant step forward in that society when they would have encountered it, right? And that the the church at that moment was a seed it was yeast it was small it was it was small and mighty but it was hidden and it was beginning to lay the groundwork for um a, a, a redemptive move forward right redeeming the move the, the for yeah yeah yeah, let me. I'll come. We'll chat about it in a second. Yeah. So let's me and you chat about that, and then um, 
take a few minutes and then we'll do some group discussion.